This is The Instigators, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to Welcome into this week's podcast. Marty, we're taking it into a, well, same venue, but different sport. Uh, sticking with lacrosse this go around. And I have to wonder if you were mildly slighted when appearing on TSN for trade deadline that you were not asked to 10 goal in that segment that was ultimately filled by Gino Retta manning a hockey net in lacrosse goalie gear. Yeah, well, um, I think the question was asked to the group who would be willing to jump in net as the lacrosse goalie, and I got there too late. I said yes, but obviously Gino Retta, who has done many crazy things yes. on trade deadline and free agent frenzy, he chased llamas all over the parking lot the one year, <laughs> so this had nothing compared to it, but Gino was really excited to go. Although, I'll tell you this, the goalie equipment mm -hmm. for lacrosse, uh, box lacrosse. It's a little big. It's, I never seen it live and in up close and personal. Mm -hmm. It is huge. Yeah. I I want it. I want some of that. <laughs> let me tell you. The first, well, not that I didn't notice this as a kid, but it, of course, progressively grew over time. And I remember being at a Man Cup Championship, which is the Canadian Senior Lacrosse Championship. And the goaltender, who also played pro, of course, was coming down the hallway to go between the doors to get out onto the floor and, like, literally had to turn sideways to go through it. And you're like, okay, there's a clear sign just how big these guys are. And we're talking today to uh, an all-timer when it comes to goaltending, yeah. and that's why we lead off the show this way. Um, Steve Dietrich's coming up. He's the Bandits GM. And I have to think that uh, through your time in this market, us working together, your kids, the excitement they get out of live sporting events, uh, you have a pretty good understanding now of what Buffalo Bandits lacrosse wow. means in this community. Absolutely. I've been to a a bunch of lacrosse game here in Buffalo and also in Rochester with the Nighthawks in the mm -hmm. late 90s when I was playing with the Rochester Americans and that's where Steve Dietrich was when I was with the Amherst and then made his way over to yep. the Bandits and I used to love watching him play goal. We have a small connection to some junior hockey and a friend of his and we'll hopefully get a chance to discuss that in the podcast as well. So yeah, I, I absolutely enjoy live sporting events and lacrosse is at the top. Well, maybe not number one because obviously I'm a hockey guy, but is one of the top events that I want to go to because it's different. There's always action. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, this is uh, definitely a good sport for uh, people to experience. Bandits coming off the bye week. It's fitting that we're doing our intro to this podcast in this building because when it opened up, Steve Dietrich was a member of the Rochester Nighthawks and earned championship game MVP honors yeah. with Rochester against Buffalo in the spring of 1997. And folks, when you're serious about the game, bet on Buffalo at the only sports books in Western New York. Seneca Resorts and Casinos betting counters are open daily and self-service betting kiosks are available 24-7 at all three locations. Whether you visit Seneca, Niagara, Allegheny or Buffalo Creek, the sports lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens so you never miss a play. The sports books at Seneca Resorts and Casinos where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win. Bandits GM Steve Dietrich. Steve, I'm sure you're anxious to have the Bandits back in action this week after the bye. And uh, boy, your team has looked so good. Almost start to finish so far. Now you've gone through the trade deadline. How do you feel about the entire group? You know, you know, Duffer, it's been one of those magical seasons so far that everything seemed to have gone our way, um, gone through the easy part of our schedule so far, I guess, if you could say easy, uh, tough, tough, 
you know, eight days coming up with two Halifax and then a Philly and a Colorado. So it's going to be tough. Um, but I think, I think we're okay here. I think we're lined up. We're fairly healthy. So we're looking forward to Halifax uh, this weekend for sure. So bandit nation, I mean, over 12,000 fans at home, the last game you guys played at KeyBank center, but you've also experienced going into uh, playing the Toronto rock with no fans. Um, how does it feel with the, the atmosphere at home? And is that something that you guys feel fortunate to have uh, compared to some of the other teams around the league? Oh, Marty, it's, it's, it's second to none. Bandit land is, is the best. I, you know, I was able to uh, have the pleasure of playing there uh, for a long time. And, and I got to be on the floor and, and feel that. And now behind the bench, it's, it's just terrific. And, you know, we have fans that follow us to Rochester and they follow us to Albany. It's, it's great. And, you know, when, when we were in Rochester, I think we almost had more fans in the building than Rochester did. So it makes us feel, uh, feel at home when, whenever we were on the road, but you're right. Toronto was a bit odd, um, not having anybody around and, and basically being able to hear everything. It was a bit different, more summer lacrosse, but uh, yeah, bandit land is second to none. Do you feel you're trending the right way um, from a crowd standpoint? And I know the numbers would say that, but do you feel like there's a potential even amidst this still slightly uncertain time to get this attendance number even that much closer to what it used to be in bandit land? If we could see 14, 15, 16 before the end of this year. Yeah, I think we're trending in the right direction. Yeah, you're right. I think there's still a little bit of hesitation uh, uh, with people with the, the vaccination and, and mass. And some people are scared about it. Some people didn't even care at, at the beginning. I think the border situation is still a little bit for the Canadian people. Like, my, my dad and my wife and my daughter haven't been down yet. So I think, I think if, if the border situations open up, I think we're creeping in the right way. You know, the people of Buffalo have always supported us. So I think more people will continue to come out. And I don't know if we'll ever get back to the 18,000 people that we used to have in the past. But if we can get to the mid-teens, you know, with how, how loud our crowd is, it just gives us such an advantage. Um, and especially if we can get something like that this coming weekend with Halifax, knowing that we have to go there the next day and they'll have a full building, it'll make things that much more exciting. So this had to be a challenge to put together this team, but I mean, you did an amazing job. So, um, you know, with the lack of traveling and being able to see other uh, players and the up and comers and, and everything that you have to do in your job, do you rely on the players a lot? Talk to them about who is uh, players that are standing out either in uh, summer ball or whatever, you know, their, their experience throughout the year and what they play is, or is it mainly you and your group that really work hard to try to put together a roster that, you know, is going to be competitive. You know what, Marty, I think it's, we're in a unique situation that with lacrosse, it's such a tight knit circle that a lot of these guys that play, you know, together in the winter, maybe play against each other in the summer or vice versa. So I think you lean on the players a lot to get their feelings as to what's, what are some guys like in the room? What are some of their strengths? What are some of their weaknesses? But again, I don't want to take away from our staff, you know, Rob yeah. Buck in out West, Troy Cordingly in the East. You know, I'm, I have the luxury of being a GM in the summer league. So I see a lot of these guys. So I think it's, it's unique that we lean on the players, but also we do a lot of work and, and we get to see a lot of these guys. The, the only thing where we probably lack a little bit is watching the American college kids because you know, we like to practice midweek. So we want everybody to live around the market where a lot of these college kids will live in New York or something like that. So we don't get to see those guys as much to, to basically feel them out if they would move. But I think we've done a good job with all the Canadian kids without a doubt. 
but you have also done a pretty good job with American kids and integrating them onto the roster. And there seems to be this, you know, burgeoning relationship between you mentioned the summer game, but you're referring to the summer indoor game in Canada for the most part. Um, whereas the PLL has produced some tremendous field lacrosse players. And I'm sure a lot of bandits fans know this full well, uh, the reigning champions chaos house a number of Buffalo bandits from the NLL. So what is that dynamic like? And are you still after all these decades in the game, hopeful that, um, the indoor and outdoor game can, can be a true partner moving forward? Well, I think for us to move forward, I think we almost have to be like, there's no sense of, of, basically competing with each other because we share a lot of the same players if we could ever get to the point where our season stops or starts and finishes even a week before their season starts so that these guys can almost be year-round athletes I think that would be best for lacrosse um, just to take it one step back when you mentioned the chaos we're lucky enough that most of our offense is basically the offense for the chaos so these guys are together you know 10 11 months of the year practicing have sticks in their hands so that's a big benefit for us they all live together in Buffalo so, so that's great. And the big thing for us is they had a taste of winning. You know, I'm sure Marty can attest once you taste it, you, you want more and more, but the first thing is it's hard to get it the first time they've done that. And hopefully that now translates into helping us achieve the ultimate goal. Well, winning also makes you a very favorable or uh, exciting destination. And, and I would think that the bandits in Buffalo is one of those destinations for players to want to come to. Uh, so what has been the response? Like when you call people up, um, do they, or do they seem hesitant? Because you said we like players to live around the area so we can have a midweek practice, or is it uh, very encouraging? Like everybody wants to come and play for the bandits where you have your pick of the players. Yeah, I think Toronto and Buffalo definitely in the East are the, the premier destinations. A lot of our guys are from Southern Ontario. So, you know, practicing midweek's not a big deal for us. And the guys that are from the West have moved to Buffalo. So we've, the organization has treated these guys really, really well to make sure that they, you know, they've acclimatized themselves to the area so that, that they can gel as a team. So uh, with, with Toronto and Buffalo as the premier, premier destinations, I can't see why we can't continue to attract free agents. But then again, as long as we continue to draft well, you know, you want to augment yourself with free agents. You don't ever want to have to try and build your team with free agents. So we've done a pretty good job of that as well. Um, what was this past trade deadline like for you, given your record sitting there at 10 yeah. and one? I mean, were you really, really, really anxious to do something or were you more like, nah, I'm good here? <laughs> you know, you know what? You're almost copying a rock in a hard place because I, I went into this thinking if we're going to do something, I wanted it to be a difference maker so that, and, and obviously I didn't want to touch our offense. It would be a defenseman that, that would have been a difference maker. And, and we had our eyes on a couple, they didn't end up moving. Um, but I didn't want to just shuffle the deck chairs. I think we wanted to give this group the chance to see this thing through. If we can augment it with a, with a difference maker on the DN, we would have done that. It didn't come to fruition, but you know, we have full confidence in, in the group that we have. And, and, you know, we put a pretty good record together um to, to try and see this thing through now like i mentioned earlier the tough part of our schedule is coming up so we're gonna have to make hay here but i like the depth i like the guys that are on our practice roster uh i think they can step in and play and knowing that everything would have trickled down so if you bring in one or two guys that means one or two guys would have to go to the practice roster and then you'd have to release two guys and and if unless it was going to be a difference maker we didn't want to do that 
So I want to tap into your former player uh, or former goalie that you are. Um, you know, in hockey, they used to say like goalies make good TV analysts because they watch the game from a different perspective. Uh, but we're not so good at coaching because we've never really experienced the, the dynamic on the bench and the line changing and the matching of it and all that. So, but in, in lacrosse, um, like for you being a former goalie, how does that, bring in some strength to your job as a general manager and how do you see the game different than maybe somebody else uh, would not see it the same way well you you know you made the point of as a goalie i see everything right when you're sitting back there you see everything whether it's offense or defense develop in front of you so you can you can basically put a good plan in place um i also had the luxury when i played in buffalo to have a guy by the name of kurt silcott he was our gm he took me under his wing so i was involved in in how he made decisions so i learned from pretty good people Um, and you, you know, when you have the best goaltender that's ever strapped on the pads as your goalie, it makes you, it makes you a smarter GM and it definitely makes you a smarter <laughs> assistant coach. And I'm sure JT can tell you, he makes him a smarter head coach. So, you know, we have the luxury of having Matt and, and, uh, you know, we'll continue to move forward that way. Um, you at your best, Matt Vince at his best. How did you compare? Yeah. I mean, you're still the only one that's won MVP as a goalie. Listen, Duffer, I always said Bobby Watson was the best goalie I ever saw. I put I put Matt Vince on that pedestal. I'd like to think I'm in the next tier with the Dallas Eliux and the Paddle Tools and the Anthony Cosmos, but those two guys are on a different level. Um, hey, were you know, you, what's, was was your shoulder were your shoulders as wide as Dallas's? But da I could tell you stories. Dallas had so many little nuances. <laughs> he had fishnet between his pants. He had <clears throat> fishnets in his in in between his arms, like. Yeah, no, man. I just, if it hurt, I just put another pad there. That's how I did it. Wherever, whenever something hurt, I just strapped another pad onto it the next week. Uh, that's, if you're not Marty. cheating, you're not trying, right? I mean, that's the way goalies used to think. Now, let me ask you this. Like in the NHL, we have like, our equipment has to go to the league before it comes to us now. And it has to be approved. They take pictures. They really follow. Do the goalies in lacrosse have to do the same thing? Are they subject to the same scrutiny now where maybe 15, 20 years ago they weren't? Yeah, 20 years ago when I played, Marty, we definitely weren't. Um, the guys played with the rules as much as possible. But yeah, now they get this, the shin pads, the upper bodies, the pants. It's all sent by the league. It's all basically tailored to your size. And then every you know, pregame and during the game, they're measured by the referees. So yeah, there's, there's no more cheating anymore. I guess you could say, I think Anthony Cosmo was the best I've ever seen at, at trying to cheat or bend the rules, I guess you could say. So he had some different things, but it's so hard to do now because they, they monitor the goalies so much. Without uh, having, and I've watched an actual ton this year, uh, Steve is, is Hartley in, in Roch. Is he this, is he this like smallest? If you took all the equipment off the guys, is he the smallest goalie in the league? Yeah, he's tiny. Yeah. He's tiny, but he's fast. He reminds oh. me of Dallas Eliak. Like yeah. He is just lightning fast. Like Dallas was never a big guy, but he was just so fast. Mm -hmm. You know, I, you know I, I look at guys like Warren Hill and Doug Jamison. That's more my style, like a bigger guy that just blocked the net. What Ryland Hartley does, that's, that's pretty to watch. It really is. He's got a little okay, hockey. So, he's got a little hockey goalie in him, Marty. He's got a little everything. He, yeah. he's flop, he flops around the net. Yeah, he's got a little bit of everything. Little goalie, a little catcher in baseball, a little of everything uh, that you want. So now, Steve, you and I, like, I, I knew of you back in the mid-90s. And it's funny you brought that up right before we started the interview. And Paul Chance is a guy I played with in juniors. 
And so I played with him in 95, 96, I believe. So you had to be in Rochester by Dan. And I was drafted by Buffalo. So he used to say, oh, I got my buddy is a goalie with the Nighthawks. He's a goalie with the Nighthawks. So, so how was that experience like going from Rochester and then Buffalo? Because I remember going to the Nighthawks game and they were nuts. Like in the mid to late 90s, they were crazy in Rochester. But then you, you moved on to, to Buffalo and... I mean, did you get booed? Did you get yelled at? How was that when you went back to Rochester? You know what? It was so funny. And it's sad. It's sad now to look at Rochester and not see that building be full because, yeah. you know, when, when, when I was lucky enough to play there, we were, you know, we were selling out. Now the building was a little smaller back then, but we were selling out um, and it was great. And anytime Buffalo and Rochester played, the fans traveled. It was, it was tremendous. And it was so funny. I, I thought I was a fan favorite in Rochester. I was there for five or six years. I get traded to Buffalo. First introduction uh, for Buffalo, I got the clap. And then as soon as the game started, it was just riled with booze. So it was like, okay, here it is. Good. Thanks for being here, but now you're gone. But that's what makes that's what makes Rochester Buffalo fans special, right? Like we'll acknowledge who you were, but you're not one of us anymore. So now you're the enemy. Uh, Marty, if you didn't know this, when the building opened across the street and uh, Steve was still with Rochester, the first championship game here in the building had Rochester and Buffalo and uh, Steve was able to walk away with MVP honors for the Nighthawks in the playoff oh, championship. The, I was, I was second row from the top in the building and of course, rooting on the bandits. And uh, yeah, that was, that was one uh, just a, you know, one for Rochester amidst what would ultimately be many much later on the back of Matt Vince, right, Steve? I mean, what a, what a run he had there. Yeah, again, we could talk about Matt Vince for an hour if you want. But yeah, he won, I think, three in a row. Yeah. He got traded for John Grant. Like, John Grant's one of the best that's ever played the game. He gets traded for John Grant. You know, a lot of people question, you know, what, what is Rochester thinking? You're trading the, the franchise icon, and you're bringing a goalie. We already have a goalie in Paddle Tool. Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And then he goes on this run, and he's won seven goalies of the year. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Okay, so what was your call? Because you just mentioned Pat O'Toole. I remember going to games and they would say, what time is it? Tool time. Like, was there a special call for you when you made saves that the crowd just got into it? No, nothing. Nothing at all. Like, people would show pic they'd show pictures of cheeseburgers, maybe. That'd be about the extent <laughs> of it. But, but no, there was no, nothing and no calls for me at all. I had no, I guess Dietrich. Dietrich's got no big name, I guess. The German name, nothing, nothing to go with it. Unbelievable. What do you make of how Banditland still reacts to just about everything Swenny says as a PA announcer? He's so good, isn't he? You know what? I, I've, I've talked to fans. I've talked to people from Kitchener. Obviously, seeing different fans around Ontario, and they always talk about either wanting to experience Banditland or how amazing Banditland is. And your announcer is one of the first things that always come out of their mouths. And, and you know what? Swenny's so humble. And we've said it to him many times how he in basically just enhances um, the product on the floor. And, and I fully believe that a lot of people come to our games because of what he brings to it, but he's yeah. Second to none. Like I, I know for a fact that in, when there's been expansion teams, they've had Swenny try and coach some of these announcers as to how to get the fans going. The, the, he's second to none. Like there's nobody even close. And that's not to disrespect anybody else mm -hmm. that does that job. Yeah, Swenny's on. He's like Matt. He's the Matt Vince, I guess, of in-game announcers. He's on a pier all by himself. So as the GM, is there ever a time in the game that you hear something? You're like, 
oh, this is good. I got to let him know. And oh, I don't know about this one. Maybe I'm, I should I should go over to the PA announcer booth and say, we got to cool it down a little bit. Is there ever a time where you get a little worried or, or do they have to run it by you sometimes when they have new ideas? No, no. Swenny's great. Swenny's on his own little platform. <laughs> He's fantastic. But I have heard some stuff in Calgary. They've mocked people. And it's like, oh, bud, like, I don't know what you're saying there. And the guy, in, I think the guy in Colorado actually lost his job because he was mocking the guy in the penalty box. So some guys can go a little far. Swenny knows the line. He's got a perfect line. He gets the crowd going, but he doesn't disrespect players. Some of the other guys try and disrespect the players. We are far enough in now. We can definitely ask, where did you get the nickname Chugger? Uh, you know, guys, it's no special story. Like Marty wants to know what uh, what I used to get chanted. There's no such special story. You know, I was a a, a large kid as a as a youngin, and I went out to to basically with my with my wooden stick. I was gonna play out, no goalie. The coach looks around the room. Let, let's put the chubbiest kid. I'll say it nicely. Let's put the chubbiest kid in net. So I went in net, but then I wanted to always come out and hit people because I was a defenseman in hockey. So they chug 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 like a train because I always wanted to come out and hit people. Yeah, that's a, that's the boring story. Everybody thinks it's I was I was a, a booming drinker and I chugged pictures of beer and stuff like that, but it was never ending it out. It's it's a plain Jane story when I was a little kid. Um, so you did play hockey. How was the the transition? I guess from being a player or a defenseman, as you pointed out, and how long did you play? And when did you said, oh, you know what, lacrosse is going to be more my speed? Yeah, you know what, I got up to I got up to junior C, which isn't. Yeah. tremendously high level but um i enjoyed hockey because as a goalie you know marty like you you re reflect or basically um are involved in every play right yeah. like whether you guys are going to win or lose it's the goalie every time they shoot on you the goalie's the last line of defense with a, a defenseman in hockey yeah, if you screw up well we got marty behind us he's going to bail me out anyways so with a lot less pressure as a defenseman in hockey as a goalie man i loved it because you were it Right. If you had a good game, your team was going to win. If you had a bad team, your team was going to lose. And I like that pressure. And I'm sure you did too to play. Yeah. Um, but that big difference. I enjoyed hockey, but lacrosse was my passion. Do you ever well, score a goal? Sorry, Duffer. I just no, wanted no, to good. keep, but not in hockey because now we're by mixing hockey and, and lacrosse. And there was a goalie goal in San Diego in the AHL just a couple of weeks back. There was a goalie goal in lacrosse the other day. So I, you know, I, I was surprised. Like I, I don't think there's been that many goalie goals in lacrosse. And I would have thought that there would be maybe more. So did you ever try or got a chance to maybe put one in the net? You know what? I never did. I always thought and rightly, rightly or wrongly, however you want to look at it. I always thought it was disrespectful. If I'm throwing the ball down at the empty net, it's almost like trying to rub salt in the wounds of the guys you're playing against. So I never did. Uh, I did as a, I got to play out a couple of times in junior. So I did score. I had nice hands again, chubby little kid had nice hands. I scored five goals in junior. But that was as an outplay, never as a goalie, never as a I like goalie. how you know exactly it was five. Like, I five. scored five goals. Like, oh, no, I've told I that, scored a few, now five. No, and I've told that story many times. Five goals in two games. I might have the best record Kitchener Junior B history. 2.5 goals per game in my, in my career. <laughs> hey, what led you to become uh, assistant coach in charge of defense along with your GM title? You, you know what? When, when we made the decision to to make JT the full-time head coach and move on from Rich. Um, it was late in the summer and, you know, we were probably a month away from training camp and, and we thought no sense of trying to bring somebody else in, teach them what JT likes, teach them what Krug likes. I can just step behind the bench. And, and honestly, it was going to be a one-time thing. Then obviously 
the pandemic hits. We're only, I uh, guess, what, 11 games into the season. And then we didn't have a year last year. And honestly, I liked it. I like being down there. I like being part of it. I, I, I've always been a video guy. So I've always been a guy that watched a lot of video anyways. So I love breaking down the video. I love, love trying to make adjustments. And it's, it's phenomenal being as close as you can. Obviously not being able to be a player anymore, but to be able to be down there, um, it, it's, it just gets your blood going. But I will tell you, the game's a lot faster there than it is in the press box. Because when I was in the press box, I could see mistakes happening and I'd come down at, after the game and I'd be mad at Rich and I'd be mad at JT and I'd be like, how can you guys not see this? And yeah, when you're on the bench, it's like, yeah, that's a lot faster. That's why they're not seeing this down here. Um, let me ask you about uh, John Tavares, the uncle, because I got to play with John Tavares, the, the nephew in, uh, with the New York Islanders. But, you know, and I got to talk to him about his uncle and the legend that he is. So his transitioning from playing and being the player that he was to coaching, um, you got to see it a little bit and, and see how he's developed. What's that been like for him and what do you think are his strengths now? Uh, it, it's been seamless and really you don't I don't think you see that very much in any sport where you know the best player that's ever played can walk right from playing to right behind the bench he's he first off he commands respect um, just because of who he is you know he, he is an X's and O's genius but the big thing with him is he's got such a, uh, an easygoing personality uh, such an easy demeanor the guys feel very easy to walk in and talk to him he's very approachable He can be stern when he needs to, but most of the time he's very laid back. I think he's just been a perfect complement to what we needed. You know, Darius and Troy were great coaches, but very brash, very in your face. JT's a lot more laid back. So I think the guys have really taken to him. And, and how can you not? You know, like the greatest player that's ever played the game, if he tries to give you a couple pointers or is open to your suggestions, the guys just want to play for him, no doubt. He hasn't sustained any rotator cuff injuries when tossing the flag, has he? Listen, man, JT hurts his calf. He hurts his shoulder. He's always asking about insurance claims and can he do this and can he do that? So he's, he's worth the, he's worth a piece of the price well, of admission. He, he really is. I don't know what you guys did to him before the Albany game, but man, he was, he was scowling that whole game behind the bench before you guys finally pulled it off in overtime. That was, I, this, you know, I, I kind of, I couldn't believe it when you said it earlier, you know, that maybe you were just went through the easy And I know you didn't mean easy part easier, of your schedule. Easier. easier. Oh, no. Like, honestly, like, I don't think people realize how good these teams, like Albany is so, so good. And, and that was just a, just, just an unreal game that you won down there. Yeah. I guess I should have prefaced it prior to Albany. We went through the easier, <laughs> easier part of our yeah. schedule prior to Albany. Yeah. Um, but no, like he was, he was wound up because of the referees. So yeah. JT doesn't like if like he's a perfectionist, right? So he doesn't, if the referees make a mistake and it's obvious, mm -hmm. he lets them know it in a, in a polite way. And if they don't acknowledge it, then he gets a little more frustrated and they were making mistakes and he was having to throw flags and we only get two. So he, you know, he gets wound up when we're having to waste flags on calls that he shouldn't have to waste his flag. But yeah, he was, he was some wound up and, and we heard about it at halftime and we heard it about it on the bus home and yeah, he doesn't let it go very easily. I was going to say, so you're on the bench, but you're also are in charge. Let's see after the game, you're the GM. So you go from assistant coach to GM. And then is there a moment where you guys say, Hey, 
listen, cool off. Like you, you're not 25 years old anymore. This is not good for you. Your blood pressure and all like faces bright red. Like you, do you have to try to contain him or do you just let him go? Like if he was a player and he's going to figure it out. Well, sometimes you want to look down to him and give him the, you know, the thumbs down, like relax, but then he gives you the look and it's like, yeah, okay. I've had it. I'm not, I'm not going there, man. <laughs> so he knows JT knows where to go and what line not to cross. He's real good. Um, but yeah, there's some times where he gets so wound up and it's like, you want to tell him to calm down, but then you just, I don't even want to, I don't want to feel the wrath. Let it, let it stay on the referees. Don't direct it towards me. Steve, you mentioned your love for video and it's, and obviously we all know your love for, for hockey too. And you watch the coaches have video at their disposal in NHL games and they make calls and challenges based off of it. They teach players right in the moment. Yes. There's a dramatic difference in revenue streams between the NHL and the NLL, but are we trending in a way where we're going to see that video inclusiveness for the coaching staff and challenges and get to better replay technology and all the rest of it within the league? And are you excited as a teacher of the game that you can have more of those moments with a guy, because you just said it's harder in that moment when you're, when you're on the bench as a coach than it is being upstairs as a GM. Yeah, we're heading there. We're heading there. We have a program called called huddle. It's getting us there. We, we don't have the live stuff on our bench where we can break down plays. Uh, Eric Vince is our video coordinator slash assistant coach. So he's on the bench with an iPad. Now we are about 20 seconds delay. So for actual goals, we have to rely on the jumbotron scoreboard, whatever you want. But when we get scored on, or if we want to see a defensive play, he's got it on the bench. So it's, it's easy to basically have one of the defenders turn around and say, guys, have a look at this. You know, Mitch, Mitch Disney used to be the best at it. Uh, he used to come to the bench and he'd be screaming, whose man was that? Whose man was that? And then you just say, Mitch, turn around and you jump. It, it was your guy. <laughs> So it, it, it calms them down a little bit, you know, because everybody's pointing the fingers when it comes to the bench. So it's nice to be able to show guys, take, take a breath. It was your guy. So stop yelling at your teammates. But yeah, we're heading there. We're heading there. And, and I think within the next year or two, we'll be able to tag things during the game and be able to show clips at, at the end of quarters or at halftime or definitely after the game. We have the next day, we have everything. We can break it all down, which is what we do. And we prepare for the next team. But yeah, we're getting real close to where we can do it during the game. Any rule changes that you would be in favor? I mean, the game is pretty uh, exciting. It's fast. There's a lot of action, physicality. There's a lot there, but there's always way to tweak it. So is there any rule changes that you uh, keep, uh, you know, in the back of your head that you bring up once in a while in GM meetings or whatnot that you, uh, you're looking forward to or you'd hope would be uh, instated in the game? Well, the big one for me, and I, and I bring this every time we have a GM's meeting in the summertime, is we have our crease. And a lot of guys are now diving and scoring from behind the net or diving across the crease. It's, always, it's a big thing. But I always think we should have a little crease within a crease, almost like Marty and Hawk. You know, you had that little red, the little red crease within your big crease. Yep. We should have something like that where the players can't dive into. So if a player dives into there, it's an automatic penalty. It's almost forced them to dive away from the goaltenders. Um, like, listen, there's, as we continue to expand, I think the level of starting goaltender might be what's going to hold us back. And most teams in this league have one bona fide starting goalie. And, you know, you know, if, if you lose your starting goalie, the chances of you continuing on at the pace you're on are, are slim. So let's protect our goalies. So make sure the guys, if you want to allow them to continue to dive and they're exciting goals, Josh and Chase on our team do it all the time. They're exciting. 
but make sure you cannot land within that little crease. And that's that goal. I guess you want to see the goalie's little private area where they can't be touched because we want to, we want to keep the excitement, but we also want to keep our goalie safe. Do you, uh, how are you feeling with the ESPN uh, deal this year? Obviously it, it seems like it should be a progressive thing for the league. And as I mentioned earlier with premier lacrosse league, um, also on ESPN now, um, it just seems like there's a great opportunity for this year round lacrosse on one platform. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Like we, with ESPN in the U S and, and TSN here in Canada, you can get every game every weekend, which is great. Uh, I always said like, you know, when we had lax TV or NLL TV, it was always great, but the people that were watching that are the fans that are going to the games anyways, or my family or on a weekend off me. I think we needed to get on regular cable so that a guy on a Saturday night in Oklahoma that's flipping through the channels comes across the games. Like, oh, what is this? And I'm going to watch it. That's the kind of people we needed to, to try and draw interest from. The, the people that were watching the games were already fans. So we needed to go get the fans that had no idea what our game was about. And then they'll eventually start watching or they may start going to games. And I think we're heading in the right direction. I'd like to see more games on ESPN as we move forward. TSN's got a game of the week, which is great. Mm -hmm. I think... You know, when, when Toronto first came in, their attendance was so good because there was a game of the week on Sportsnet. You know, their attendance started to dwindle when all of a sudden the games weren't on TV. So you lose, you lose the luster. So I think we're heading in the right direction. But for this league to continue to grow, I think you need, we need to see the product more on regular, regular cable, whether that's ESPN, NBC, whatever, with a game of the week, just so that you can draw the not-so-normal or regular fan. What about the next generation? Like my son is 17 and for the first time in his life, he's actually playing field lacrosse this year with his school. He's a senior. He says, dad, I want to have fun with my buddies. And I'm like, go for it. It's going to be great. I can't wait to, uh, to go and watch games or whatnot. But how do you get more and more of the next generation, the kids involved in the game? Because it is a great game, a game that unfortunately I never got to play. But there is athletes everywhere that would love to play, boys and girls, that would love to play this game. How do you get them involved? Well, I think TV is the, the, one of the big things. In Canada, we, we saw such a boon when The Rock first went on Sportsnet. The interest of the young kids was phenomenal. So you started to see a lot of the five, six, seven-year-old kids jump in with both feet. And now, but now the problem is those kids are now 21, 22, 23. So we've, we've, once they went off TV, you lost that. So I think by, by having it on TV and being more visible, uh, that'll draw people. But that's in Canada. In the U.S., they're doing a good job. They're starting the box leagues around. Because um, when you talk to a lot of American people, especially in non-NLL markets, when they talk lacrosse, they talk field lacrosse. They don't ever talk box lacrosse. So the more box lacrosse leagues we see, the more college coaches that endorse kids playing box lacrosse because it, it helps with their hand-eye coordination. It helps with being, play, being able to play in tight spaces. I think this league will just continue to grow and we need more American players. If this league's going to grow, we need more American players, but we need American players that have played box lacrosse before. Like Connor Fields is a prime example. He's played box lacrosse, you know, probably from the time he was an early teenager and he's good at it. It's hard to get the Tom Shrivers of the world out of Toronto that had never played box lacrosse before until they're 24 years old and they come to Toronto and try out. Those are the guys that it's hard. You want to get the younger kids that have played box and have played field and that it's seamless for them to walk in. And yet it's so transferable because Schreiber walked right in and became a superstar as he was outdoors. It's amazing. How many, uh, how impressed are you with this development of the box leagues and the college buy-in right now? To me, from a distance, it seems like, whew, we're finally making steps here. 
Well, yeah, it, it's been great. And that's like the, the Buffalo box league, the Colorado box league. Like the, the, I think there's one in Massachusetts. That's great, but we need it to be where they're starting with the kids at five and six and seven, like they do in Ontario and British Columbia and places here in Canada. If they can do that, then we're going to start developing, you know, the same number of superstars coming out of the American box leagues as we do the Canadian box leagues. Um, but yeah, like for, for this league to take that next step, that's what we need. Um, but yeah, you talk about Tom Schreiber, you're talking about one of the best players that ever played the game. There's, there's lots of guys that try and do it and yeah, are nowhere near that level. Hey, Marty, your buddy, I was going to say, Marty, your buddy, Steve Priola was pretty excited to talk to us when he was mentioning stats this year, right? The, The expanded stats that they're seeing. So, yeah, because we, we were talking about, uh, what was it, ball recovery or um, loose and ball recovery shots, block and shots. block shots and all of that. So, again, this is all a new dimension to the game, being able to have these analytics and, and enhanced stats. And how does it help you as a general manager now to to kind of put priority on, on certain players and some, certain part of your games uh, because you're having all this data come to you? Well, the players want to use it, Marty, because it helps them at contract time. They want to show uh, you well, how many yeah, loose balls true. they have and how many block shots. And all, <laughs> this is the amount of time on the floor I was. But no, I like it. And honestly, we started it two years ago. Um, you know, as a defensive coach, I think I'm playing everybody almost equally. And then after the game, I look and I see time on floor. And I'm like, okay, Priola played 29 minutes. Justin Martin played 14 minutes. Whoa. So then it, you start to think, okay, I got to start moving some floor time around. So that definitely helped. There's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, the, the guys, the guys love it because of all the pluses and, and that it helps them. The one thing I didn't like when they, and I'm glad they changed it is, you know, lacrosse is offense and defense. So a lot of the offensive guys are going to get pluses. A lot of the defenses are always going to have minuses. So they always would have a plus minus. So they'd have the yeah. offensive guys like plus 11 and the D get D guys be minus nine. It's like, it's such, that was such a stupid stat when they never, the guys never cross center either way. Yeah. So of course they're always going to be plus or a minus. Well, I'll tell you this, two things. Uh, one, my brother, when he played for the Washington Capitals, was only on, on the power play. And after like a few games, this coach called him in. He says, uh, you're not playing tomorrow. You're minus two. And he goes, well, I don't play five on five and I don't kill penalties. I can't get any pluses. So he's like, that's what you're going to judge it on. He says, yeah, you're minus two. You're out. He's like, that is the dumbest thing. So I understand that. And two, So since you're in Kitchener, Jay McKee, former Sabres defenseman, you know, he coached in Kitchener with the Rangers. Um, because of the added, uh, uh, well, statistical element of block shots, he got himself a nice contract with the St. Louis Blues. So you're right. It actually helps the players more, especially with with the these contracts dispute and say, hey, I'm comparing myself to this guy because I've got as much block shots or as much loose ball recoveries. And so I, I guess you have to, to play nice so that uh, you, you, you get to, uh, to enjoy the stats, but at the same time, salary wise, it, it probably hurts a little bit uh, for you guys. Well, yeah, but a lot of, a lot of the guys want to use the stats that help them and they want the stats that don't help them to disappear. <laughs> so like I have as many loose balls as this guy. Yeah. But this guy's got 30 more points than you do. But yeah, yeah, that we, doesn't we matter. At, no, no, we don't look at that. I want, well, you know, you remember as a goalie, you use the stat that works for you. If you had, you know, 12 wins and two losses, you use the win losses. But if your save percentage and your goals against average is great, but you're six and six, you're like, I don't care about my record. Look at my goals against average and my save percentage. So you, you know how that works. 
Oh, without a doubt. If I have a great save percentage, but a lot of losses, I can't score. I can only yeah. stop the I can only stop the ball, right? But if <laughs> but if we're winning, it's like it doesn't really matter how many goals I'm letting in. Somehow I've got more wins than the other guy. So yes, it's always a plus in your side. There's no doubt about it. All right, Marty, want to do a little rapid fire here? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, one word for Dioga Nanakoke. Unbelievable. He's so unbelievable. Oh, he's Unbe- absolutely unbelievable. unbelievable. It, yeah. It's thank you for bringing him to the team. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It, and it's. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, basically get too far into it, but when JT and I interviewed him, um, we were blown away at how honest the kid was, how he took us back from day one and walked us. Cause there was, there was a lot of questions about Tohoka coming out of Albany and he was open. He was honest. He was forthright. Um, like, and when I say honest, like he was as honest as you could possibly be. And when we hung up the phone, JT and I were like, that, that's our guy. Like, that's our guy. I don't, I don't care what happens. That's our guy. And we had a good idea that Jonathan Donville was going first. So we just had to hope that, that the uh, Hoka slid by, slid by Georgia, which we were lucky enough, but yeah, he, and you know what, he has come here and I can't say enough good things about Dane and Josh and I don't want to get off topic, but Dane and Josh are such great leaders and they just embrace everybody. And they've been so good with him. So good with Cluche um yeah like yeah i can talk forever about the but that kid the kid doesn't know the um the sky's the limit for him like he could be on like just unstoppable moving forward it's it's going to be up to him really is your favorite call pa announcer call during the game at the bandits at key bank center what is it um honestly marty i don't really hear much i, I know i, I hear swenny but I don't really hear much of what uh, is going on. I think he used to, when, who used to be here? I think he used to say like, whose house, Steinhaus. I think yeah, he used yeah. to, I used yeah. to like that one. And yeah. Mark scored all the time. So I used to hear that a lot, but I, I don't hear much, but I used to like him, that and Johnny who. So I don't even know yeah. what he says now. Maybe I know the Steinhaus and the Johnny who one because I used to play, but I don't yeah. know what he does now, but I'll take those two. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's a quick one. Why did you trade my cousin, Dan Lintner? <laughs> Uh, I didn't even know he's your cousin Duffer. That might've, I might've put the brakes on the deal. knew right away, but (laughs) yeah, no. So here's the funny thing that that when, when you acquire, when he was acquired here, his first game was Tucker out lymphoma night. Marty and I were in Arizona with the Sabres. Kelsey sweet sent me a picture of Danny's Jersey and he was going to wear Tucker's number that night. and was hanging in the room. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like, I, I'm so happy for him. Right. And he was good. And then the pandemic hits and I never believe it or not, Steve, the, the week that everything got shut down was going to be the first time that I ever sat on the glass at a bandits game. And it would have been seeing Danny in a bandits uniform in person for the first time. And then it never happened. Then he never played for your team after that well, unbelievable now i feel now i feel guilty duffer but no no the, the good um, news is i watched them all through duffer wants to be the down, so. duffer wants to be the assistant gm you have to run all your decisions to <laughs> him now in charge of family relations yes yeah. but you know what it was it like, saskatchewan came hard after him and it yeah. was a, it was a good deal we ended up getting a first round pick which got us connor fields and we got justin robinson it ended up being a yeah. good a good one but I'll, t- I'll tell you a good little story on that justin robinson's dad 
and Dan's Dan's dad, I believe, are friends. Mm-hmm. So Derek Keenan called Justin Robinson before I got a hold of Danny Lintner and said, "Hey, guess what? Um, our my son just got traded to your son's team. This is going to be great. We're going to be able to hang out at all bandit games." And then Dan says, and he sees my number come on his phone, oh, no. and he's like, "Come on." <laughs> So I told him, and then uh-huh. listen, Danny's a great kid. So mm-hmm. he's telling me this after I just broke the news to him. But I thought, how, how bad is that? The one dad calls the other dad to tell you how excited he is. And then that dad's got to call him back and say, well, my boy just got traded for your boy. So, but yeah. Oh, man. Uh, well, and, 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 and the least surprising part mm-hmm. of the deal, Steve, was that he went to Saskatchewan because as you know, that's, that's Whitby warrior uh, junior a nation that has moved to central Canada. They, there are a lot of ex, a lot of ex warriors on that team. So, well, yeah, Bubba, Bubba was his coach. Like Jeff McComb was his coach in yep. junior. So, yeah. And they, and honestly, they did come hard after him. We weren't mm-hmm. trying to move Danny, but they came hard after him. And yeah, it makes sense. All the Whitby guys that are there. Yeah. Say favorite road city or building to play in when you were playing favorite one for you to play in uh, Philadelphia. It, it, the fans were ruthless. Um, well, you know, you played there. Did you play in the spectrum? I got to play in the spectrum in early, like I'm going to date myself, but I started in 92. So I got to yeah. play in the spectrum for a little while. We ended up losing. We actually lost in the 95 championship game in Philadelphia when I was with Rochester. But um, when I, I made jokes about cheeseburgers before, the one guy used to sit to my left in the first and the third quarter, and he would be right by where the camera bay is, like where you could yell, and he would be relentless. Just he had a big sign of a cheeseburger, and he would be yelling cheeseburger, cheeseburger, and he'd always say, I know you can hear me. I know you can hear me. And then the one time I just turned and waved at him, it's almost like the whole section gave me a clap because I looked over and I acknowledged the guy that I, yeah, buddy, I have heard me yell at cheeseburger the whole night. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um I guess this is so hard because the game is blessed to have nothing but characters, but like favorite character of all time in, in lacrosse for you. Um, probably Pat McCready. Uh, he was my roommate for such a long time, but he was such a prankster and a jokester and, and he was such a good guy and, and he just knew what to say, when to say it. But if, if I can't say him, Mark Steinhaus those two guys, like the jokes they would pull on each other. And, and, and Mark, Mark used to do things on the road. Um, like one time he got into Troy, Troy was the coach. So he got into Troy's room and he tied his shirt up in a knot and soaked it. So then when Troy oh. came in to get his dress shirt, you know, the, he had to undo the, the shirt. So, and his shirt was soaked. So then he went down and tried to get Mark and Mark kid. And then, then basically they came back up and Mark and Billy had taken water buckets, like garbage buckets, and they took them and they, you know, they almost put them on the angle as they went up and then they banged on Troy's door. So as Troy came to the door, all these garbage buckets full of water fell on him. So yeah, it was, so Troy got dung, dung twice, the bad shirt and then all the water dumped on him. Those leaners, I mean, they are a staple of youth hockey tournaments and on the road, you put the garbage <laughs> cans against the door, just lean it perfectly so it dumps on. It's great. Uh, favorite game you've ever been a part of? Um, probably the 97 championship game when we won in Buffalo. Um, you know, it was one of the ones where we finished fourth as, as the Nighthawks and we upset Philadelphia and then we upset Buffalo. So I'd say that one, um, you know, that was my mom and my grandma didn't really want my dad followed me all over the place like my dad became more of a legend that you know than than i'll ever be 
throughout the rinks of Ontario because he was at everything. So everybody knew my dad more than they knew me. But my mom and my grandma didn't get to come very often. And, and they came to that game and, you know, to win and then to win MVP. But it made it more special because my mom and my grandma were there. So I'd say that one. But I'll couple that one. The worst one that I ever part of was the 2006 one in Buffalo, where we should have beat Colorado. Duffer, I don't know if you were there. We should have beat Colorado. And, you know, our goalie didn't have a good night and we ended up losing. So there you go. There's the best and the worst all in one, one answer. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong. 97 was the last game of the mill. And then it became the National Lacrosse League the next year, correct? Yes, that was the last game of the major in the lacrosse league. And just so everybody's clear, when I say our goalie played bad in 06, it was me. I'm not throwing, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. Else. I know. I was, I was, okay. I was letting it linger there for a little bit. I okay. just, yeah. I'm, I'm, and again, no surprise that you just owned it. it yeah. It was, hey, the great thing about the band, I th- actually thought you were going to say 2019 because Calgary, like that was tough. I know you weren't playing, yeah. but just being around it, like that was, that was heartbreaking. Well, in both of those, Duffer, like in 06, uh, we were the best team in the league and it was almost going to be a coronation, right? Like it was just a coronation. And then in 19, we're the best team in the league. So it's the coronation, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kurt Miloski is one of my best friends. So there's a double whammy. We, you know, not only did we not get coronated, I lost to one of my best friends. So yeah, they're, they're, they're very similar. Um, yeah. the, o, the 06 one was just a one game shot. So that's where... That's where it was like the shot to the heart. We just, in 19, we deserved to lose. They beat us two in a row. Like you got, you got nobody to blame, but yourselves, right? You lost two in a row. The Mm -hmm. 06 one, you know, it was, it's one of those where I think if you play them 10 times, we went eight and it just happened to be one of the two times was that night. So that was, that was a tough one. Marty. I'm good. You? I, I've I'm exhausted all my uh, my ideas right now. I mean, there's so much to cover. I guess the biggest thing I would say is, if I had asked you in 1997, you're in Rochester, I'm in Rochester. And if I'd asked you to borrow your chest and arm protector, would I have made it to the NHL right away? Like, would I have been like Gart Snow and been like, you know, cheeseburger and net, but at least stopping everything? Would, would you have let me your chest and arm protector then? Yes, I would have. But Marty, I think you're, you know, you had a pretty amazing career, but like, don't sell yourself short. You had a no, I'm just saying I would have moved up a lot quicker. <laughs> oh, so you would have cashed in the pay. You would have cashed in earlier is what you're earlier, saying. Earlier, oh, yes. Oh, oh, yeah, I got you. Yes, well, I would have. But here's a here's a good little story. When we were in Rochester together, I, I can't remember, what was the uh, athletic club that you guys worked out at that we worked out at? Oh, I think it was that Rochester Athletic Club. I think it's the RAC or whatever. Or and I there was there was some some big guy was the director there. And I, I remember meeting with him. Again, I was a large guy, but I remember meeting with him to try and put me on a program. And he said to me, you know, we, we train all the Amherst here. Like he pulls out a folder. He goes like this guy, Byron, we, uh, we want to put you on the same program Byron's on. And oh, I'm yeah. thinking, okay, well, well, he's about six, one, I don't know how tall you are, but about 150 pounds. Yeah. I'm about five, nine and about 250 pounds. <laughs> I don't know if we want to go on the same program, but. Well, I'll tell you this. The reason why I don't know what the place was called is because I probably never went. So (laughs) I somehow always made it out of the building and never got to the gym. So I just went home. So that that was my plan. Well, I went to the I went to the building because they they monitored me going to the building, but I walked around it a lot. (laughs) I didn't do a lot when I was there, but I was there. 
That is so good. Steve, thank you so much for the time. And uh, honestly, continued success this year. It has been such a treat to watch and uh, well-deserved the way you've constructed this roster. All the best. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Great to hear from Chugger, even if he downplayed the nickname. Cheeseburger. Uh, the nickname. <laughs> that was really <laughs> funny. And uh, obviously, you know, you, you, you've you come to know this as an athlete. You have to have a thick skin at times. Uh, and uh, It I'll, gets you into the game. And does. the fans yeah. yell at you. There's two reasons. Either you're really bad and they yell at you, or either you're good and they want to get in your head. And I always took that as a compliment. Mm -hmm. When they yell your name and they want you off your game and they actually come up with nicknames or things that they want to get to you at, take it as a compliment and mm -hmm. enjoy it. Hockey and lacrosse are, especially the indoor game, of course, are intertwined, given that they use the same dimensions on the arena floor and uh, the physicality that comes with it. So why don't we do a little crossover? Three stars of the week. I'll stay with box lacrosse. You stick with the game on ice. Okay, well, it was trade deadline on uh, this past Monday, so I'm going to go with the NHL trade deadline. The three stars of the trade deadline. I'm going to say third star for me was the New York Rangers. They went and acquired Vetrano, Mott, uh, Justin Braun, Andrew Kopp. I thought that's what the Rangers needed, although they got crushed on Tuesday night by the New Jersey Devils, so not really the, the first game they wanted to, but third star, the New York Rangers. Second star, I'm going to say the Florida Panthers. They got Claude Giroux. That was the big acquisition. They got also wanted Ben Sherratt. So mm -hmm. we've been talking about Ben Sherratt, especially with Darren Dreger, for a lot on the instigators uh, on the radio show. So I'm going to say the Panthers, second star. And first star, I'm going to stick with the Colorado Avalanche because even though they did not really get Claude Giroux and they were rumored to get, Josh Manson is a great addition. Mm -hmm. Cogliano is a great addition. And Arturi Lekkanen, they're the depth pieces mm -hmm. that, well, maybe not Manson. I think he's a front and center piece. But I think Colorado is going to be the best team going into the playoffs this year. I think what I enjoyed about some of the names that you just mentioned that were on the move um, was that, because of the high-profile nature of the trade deadline, these guys get thrust into large exposure interviews as opposed to just local market stuff after a game. And I think you really saw, in a lot of cases, the type of characters that these teams have picked up at the deadline, which is what Kevin Adams has been stressing all along. And I think it's easy to now project some of those teams and see, wow, they've got some really good people. In fact, so much so, I was watching a Panthers interview with our friend Katie Goss down there in Florida with Bill Zito, the yeah. Panthers GM. Honestly, his emotion when talking about Ben Sherratt and his versatility and how he fits made me feel really bad that so we kind of hopped on the wagon for <laughs> slighting Darren Dreger and his first-round pick status because clearly the Panthers had been looking at this guy for a long time. Well, there's that interview. And how about Marc-Andre Fleury on Monday? Oh, my it was goodness. on the set with TSN when James Dutty interviewed Marc-Andre Fleury. And Marc-Andre Fleury, the great guy that he is, mm -hmm. willing to share that that Monday morning when he said to his kids, I have a good day in school, they were crying. Yeah. Because they didn't know where daddy was going to be at 3 o'clock when they returned from school. And he actually was on a jet on the way to Minnesota yep. to be able to play. Well, actually dressed that night yep. uh, for the Minnesota Wild against the Which uh, in itself Golden is amazing Knights. to me. Uh, but 
but again, like, what a great guy. Yeah. And he goes into Minnesota, and he was maybe by my honorable mention, Minnesota, being able to get Flurry. Yeah. Not because they got a number one goaltender, because they got a quality human. Mm-hmm. It's their really their last season before they have some cap trouble. But they got a guy that is going to go in. He's going to make Cam Talbot better. Mm-hmm. He's going to make the team better. They got two goalies now. But the fact that he talked about that emotional side, I, I experience it, and I talk about it often, but he, uh, it was hard. It was yeah. hard for Flurry. But being that it's Minnesota, it's quick, a quick flight. The, he's going to have a tough time. But I'm telling you, it's not easy being away from your family. Yeah, but it's not that far, as you know. And also, the fact that he admitted to having been there just a few days earlier with the yeah. Hawks and while sitting there not knowing his future, soaked in the experience and really allowed himself to project, you know, what yeah. this could be like. There's always been this wonderful down-to-earth awareness about Marc-Andre Fleury, good or bad. He understands everything and 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 wears the heart on the sleeve. Always so. with a smile on his right. face. That's uh, the thing, too. Yeah. Like, he's talking about how his kids are, you know, emotional about it. It's hard, but at the end, he always has the smile on his face yeah. because he understands that, uh, you know, this is a, a great game, and he's uh, obviously wanted for a lot of teams. But uh, who do you have for three stars? Well, I'm going to start with, uh, you know, sticking with obviously the Bandits and the NLL, and and just to you know recognize that this is a critical week for Buffalo. I, I, that may sound ridiculous. They're 10 and one right now, but the team behind them in Halifax is eight and three, and they play back to back this weekend. In fact two weeks in a row in a very short period of time, as you heard Steve Dietrich say, it's going to be four games just like that, which doesn't happen often in this league. So they can either wrap up this division real quick or find themselves in a massive push for the final few games to lock down not only a playoff spot, but top spot in the East Division. So uh, I would say just looking at the schedule, you then have to recognize how are you going to navigate this back-to-back? Who do you rely on? And I'll start third star with two players that have been catalysts this year in different ways. Chase Fraser for the emotional value and impact and physicality and energy that he brings, but also Dale Gananicoke, who's leading the NLL in rookie goal scoring right now during a rookie season where there have been some standout performers, perhaps more than we've seen in recent years. Dane Smith is averaging over seven points a game. That is elite in professional lacrosse, Dane has done it before, but 85 points in 11, 82 say, points it. in 11 games. That's it, seven yeah. points a game? 7.45 is where he's at. So uh, there have been multiple <laughs> games this year where he's had over 10 points that I haven't even noticed him. That's how balanced this team wow. is. That's how much of a feeder he's become in setting up all this weaponry that is around him. And, of course, Banditland, you brought it up to Steve. Steve told us more and more about it, and they continue to sit number one in attendance and growing. So consider this an open invitation to uh, join us Saturday here in Banditland a little earlier than usual. If you haven't had a taste of it this year, you will not be disappointed. One o'clock start here at Key Bank Center for that. So uh, any last words on uh, your next foray into lacrosse and when you will be donning the pads? Okay, so I'm... I have a stick in the car at the ready to, I need you know. a stick because I need to work with my son because he's playing field lacrosse mm-hmm. and as a goalie, he's got to be able to, to have these 40-yard toss, yes. after, like to send the offense going and he said he's never played lacrosse so that's the one part he's struggling with mm-hmm. so I told him I'd get a stick so maybe that's my next foray into like being able to learn warm, warm weather okay. canal side you and I play a little catch you out there you need to teach me so that's All my right. next step 
All right. I have, fa- I I have failed in the past at teaching people the uh, catch and release, so we'll see how it goes. Can I catch with the stick and throw it with my hand? Like, <laughs> uh, that is a complete no-no within the game. But uh, oh, that's not, that, is there a rule for yeah, that? At some point, you have to start stop making up your own rules as we go along. For Marty, I'm Brian, and uh, for our sponsor, Seneca Resorts and Casinos, thanks for joining. We'll see you soon.